On this episode of The Golf Guy, I uh, catch up with an old friend, Tony Roberto, someone who I grew up with in Connecticut playing golf together as juniors at Ellington Ridge. And Tony um, has had a wonderful career in the game. He uh, had uh, a lot of ability, unlike me, and went to uh, Florida Southern, played on several national collegiate championship teams. They won a number of Division II titles. And from there, he's um, followed uh, as a... uh, as a club pro, he played on the mini tours for a little bit, but his, most of his career, as you'll hear, has been as a club pro at various places in Connecticut, in Florida. He was briefly out west, he's been in Arizona, California. He's back in Connecticut um, and um, uh, has had a um, really distinguished career at, at a number of clubs, private, semi private. Um, has been Merchandiser of the Year a number of times, um, really knows all facets of the business. So we have a fun conversation with him about what's going on in New England golf um, uh, during COVID and um, generally. So upcoming um, PGA Pro, uh, Tony Roberto, um, uh, next on The Golf Guy. Well, welcome to another episode of The Golf Guy, and it is uh, my great pleasure to welcome an old friend, um, Tony Roberto. Um, uh, As folks may recall, I grew up playing golf in Connecticut um, at Ellington Ridge in Connecticut, which is where Tony and I met. We're talking many moons ago, uh, probably more than 40, 45 years ago. Um, and, um, unlike me, Tony has a lot of golf talent, um, and he has, uh, you know, uh, gone from, you know, when we were teenagers playing to having a wonderful career in golf, um, and, uh, which we'll talk about and talk about some of the issues going on in the new England scene where Tony still is in golf. Tony, thank you so much for making the time to join me today. Well, Larry, it's my pleasure. And like you said, it's, it's, it's fantastic to connect with uh, someone who we, we saw each other daily as teenagers and, you know, as we've gone through life's channels to be here with you right now. It's great. Thank you, Tony. I, I feel the same way. So let's just sort of talk a little bit in terms of how you got started. We were, as you said, we were teenagers and playing golf at Ellington Ridge. And um, uh, but uh, talk a little bit about your sort of starting in the game. And, and you know, unlike me, you know, you played serious collegiate golf. Um, uh, but uh, maybe talk about a little bit how you got started and your and, and going sure. on into college. Well, Larry, I got started. My um, my parents decided to join Glastonbury Hills Country Club in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Uh, at the time, I started taking lessons from the PJ professional there. His name was Don Ross at five years old. Wow. So I got, I got thrust into that. There was a pretty astute assistant there also who ran the junior program. We probably had 50 kids a week. And that's like, I got my start there at Glastonbury Hills. Uh, seven years later, my dad, along with some of his friends from Glastonbury Hills, decided to join Ellington Ridge. That's when I met you in our early teen years when we were 13 or 14. Uh, at that point, I was playing three sports in high school, golf being one of the three. Wow. I played basketball and football and uh, really took a liking to golf 
I had to decide, do I play baseball or golf? So I was playing all through the little league organizations, uh, baseball as a kid. So I, I, I got into golf. And as you know, we had a, a wonderful golf professional. We sure did. At Ellington Ridge, who <clears throat> second to none, his personality and his um, style from yesteryear, Wally Seashon, uh, became like a second dad to me and took me under his wing. And uh, he really made the members feel quite welcome. So as yeah. I got to be 13, 14, 15, my golf game progressed a little bit playability wise. And I started to play in some national tournaments. I had some success on a national level, qualified for some U.S. juniors, uh, did well in those, had some good summers, junior golf wise, both in the state, in New England and nationally. And then after uh, my junior year, I started to get recruited by numerous schools, <clears throat> excuse me, all over the country. And I ended up choosing Florida Southern because my parents fell in love with the, the recruiter from Florida Southern that came out to visit us. And when we went on the official visit, we fell in love with the campus, which is a Frank Lloyd Wright uh, oh, campus. Oh, wow. I yeah, he designed the, <clears throat> designed the whole campus with sitting on the banks of Lake Collingsworth, which was a, a lake that was 3.2 miles in diameter. So um, as I traversed and went to college at Florida Southern, it was sort of eye-opening, um, to be honest with you. There was 10 recruits, all of which were as good, if not better than myself. I was just very fortunate. Um, to my acclimation and, and portability from bent grass in the Northeast, which you and I grew up on, right. to Bermuda grass, I, I pretty much had no problem making the switch. Some of the other recruits who were, we had one junior that won 85 junior tournaments in Maryland. Wow. wow. And he couldn't make the transition from bent to Bermuda. And he never played an event for us yet. Wow. He was on four year full ride. So I was fortunate. Um, I prospered playing wise at Florida Southern. I was a member of two national championship teams. There uh, it's a school of about 3,500 to 4,000 students, a very strong, powerful golf program and baseball program. You know, we won 15 national titles in golf. Um, wow. Since, wow. Yeah, since the, the, the late 70s. And they've won like 13 uh, NCAA Division II uh, baseball titles also. So that's where I was able to basically keep my game in shape. And if I didn't, Larry, whether it was my senior year, we'd have freshmen, sophomore, juniors who wanted your spot. And if I wasn't hitting two, three, 400 balls a day, I'd get surpassed by the guy next to me wow. on the ring. So that's wow. how competitive it was. Yeah, that's a lot of work and 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 a lot of time and a lot of effort and for sure. It is. And, you know, Larry, we were probably one of the few teams back then. I was there from 77 to 81, where starting in 1979, we uh, we were up at three and at four in the morning, three, four in the morning, hitting the gym, running the three point two mile lake three days a week before class. So, so this is interesting. Let's just pause on that. So, you know, the, the, the big talk, of course, with Tiger the last, you know, all these decades of uh, 25 years is, you know, um, golfers becoming more athletic and, and hitting the gym. But we're talking so Tiger's out here in 97. So we're talking 15 years before then. But you guys sounds like you were really focused on that even then. Yeah, my coach, Charlie Matlock at the time, uh, 
God rest his soul, he passed away about eight or nine years ago, but he was a football player at East Tennessee State University. He was in the conditioning. And it was just one way for him to get us together, both mentally and physically. And uh, if you didn't partake, if you missed one of the days, you suffered and weren't, weren't able to try to qualify for the next event. And most of the events we played were very highly regarded tournaments all over the country that were part of our schedule before nationals. Right. So, yeah, right. he was a he was ahead of the bell curve a little bit phys- physical wise, getting us to the gym, you know, for sure. So it certainly sounds that way. So love of golf, obviously a lot of talent for it. Um, at what point um, did you think, gee, you know, this is something I want to make a career in as, you know, a PGA pro? Well, what happened, Larry, after you and I, you know, you went to college and after I graduated college, I had, um, you know, I played well. I had some sponsors. I started out playing the Space Coast Mini Tour, yeah, sure. which was run by a former tour player, J.C. Goosey. Yeah. And he and his brother both played the PGA Tour for years. I happened to come home. I was having a, a I actually came in third in a tournament right around Christmas. I came home and I went to a Yukon Husky basketball game okay. um, at the old uh, field house. And that's when I got approached by the owners of Blackledge Country Club. And they said, geez, we, we'd like to talk to you. I said, well, I'm home for another week or two on break from playing. I went and talked to them. And that's when they offered me the job. Uh, this was um, Christmas of 82 or 83, right in that vicinity. And 82. And then I accepted the job in the beginning of 83. So that's how I got into the club end of the business. And they had, they had granted me the rights to keep, I could play in all the tournaments I wanted, just run the operation. So, you know, I, I did play a lot competitively as a head professional in the Connecticut PGA and in New England, you know, um, for quite a number of years. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you're keeping your playing career, but you're now on the club side of things. And um, so what was that? I'm just curious. What was that like? Someone as talented as you and you're sitting there, gee, I've had some success on tours. Should I, or mini tours, should I play more? I mean, what sort of made you decide um, that, gee, you know, I'm going to focus, even though you're going to still play as a club pro, you're going to be a club pro rather than focusing hundred percent on being a playing pro. Yeah. My playing Larry was, you know, I was at that point either to give it 110% and try to be PGA tour material and then when they dangled that carrot in front of me and said, you could still play. Um, and then I happened to take a liking to the business because I went in at the right time when the father and son owner were buying out the other initial three owners who were involved. And so they were taking it over and I was able to experience four or five new clubhouses, uh, golf shops. The place went from a mom and pop type operation to this day right now, it's one of the finer public facilities in the state sure. of Connecticut is 36 sure. holes. Yeah. Right now they're going to be opening up in June, a, a million and a half dollar uh, teaching facility. Oh, wow. so wow. that's when I made the decision, the separation, you know, and I had some sponsors too at the time. And I said, listen, I'm going to take a break. I'm, I'm going to give this a hundred percent. And I just threw myself into it. And before you knew it, I'm there a year or two. And the, the hundred percent playing aspect took a, a, a burner in the back seat, sort of. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Um, and so, I mean, being a head pro, there's a lot to sort of deal with, right? I mean, you've got to, were you, did, were you doing, I mean, you got merchandising elements of things to do, deal with, you know, which I know you've been very successful at, you know, you've got, you know, the lessons part, if you're going to do that part and stuff. So how did you sort of, how did you take to all that stuff and how did you kind of split your time and think about that? Well, I was sort of fortunate, Larry, because I didn't really follow a really strong candidate who was there before me at okay. Blackledge. So I could sort of create a wheel and, and it would start rolling. And I can build up on it. I actually, my golf shop at Blackledge, I own the golf shop. I was um, golf shop operations, top 100 uh, merchandiser, three years in a row, one of the top 100 shops in America in the public course category. They had five categories and they had the top 20 in each. So three years in a row there. Um, so I sharpened my skills merchandising because I got into corporate logos. Uh, I actually did um, a liquor distributorship in um, Southern Cal. I did logos for them, five corporate logos of uh, liqueurs and beers that they they sold from their distributorship. I sold them soft goods from the East coast. Wow. So, wow. And, and I was teaching a lot because, you know, golf professionals as an added source of income. And you usually you, back then you owned a hundred percent of the lesson program. So whatever you made teaching, whether it was 50 bucks or 50,000, it went into your pocket, but time management is the key because mixed in with all that, owning a shop, running corporate golf outings, being the liaison between chairmen of uh, leagues, uh, things of that nature, you know, and also at the same time, I had to sharpen my skills in some areas that went along with running a, a, a golf operation. Maybe that when I came in, they were lackluster. So it was sort of a learn as you go. I was at Blackledge eight years. Wow. And okay. then and then I left after that. I went to the private side and I had an offer and um did that and you know my travels have taken me I'm, I'm as you know i'm back in connecticut now so i've been in florida california arizona and connecticut and uh it's it's been a little bit different operation in each of those facilities so i've had to it's, it's broadened my horizon in each of those stops, to be honest I, with you. I bet. So, I mean, you've sort of touched, you know, public facilities, private facilities. You've kind of run the gamut, right, over your career in different places? I have, Larry. I've done a little bit of municipal, public, semi-private, and upscale private. And I've been fortunate. I've been at four places that have hosted major PGA tour events and or uh, LPGA and champions events. Oh, wow. So I've gotten an experience of like, for example, I was at Crandon golf in Key Biscayne. I was the GM director of golf. The Royal Caribbean champions tour event was there 17 years. I remember well, they, that. Yeah. The tour came to me and said, well, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 4am. Like what? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I was out there with flashlights and, you know, headlights and, we're, we're having, I was even part of it, myself and the grounds crew raking bunkers towards the hole. So if somebody hit it in a bunker, it was lined up towards the target and we're, it's pitch blackout or we're trying to find out where the hole is going to be. Oh, so wow. that's what they do on the champions tour. And to this day, they still rake the bunkers towards the hole. It, it makes executing a lot easier. 
well, well, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, and I had no idea that they did that. I mean, that makes it a hell of a lot easier, right? You, you I know, mean, Larry, I, I was at Inverary too, which hosted the 78 Tour Championship, which was won by Tom Shaw. He hosted the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. Right. You know, so it, it's been fun to be involved and see some of that. And I guess also to find out what it takes both whether it's agronomically or food and beverage or golf shop wise to, to be considered for those events. And also if your course is considered to be a top hundred club, when I was at Crandon park, we were ranked 79th in the U S in the public course category. Wow. So it was a top hundred facility. So yeah, it's been, the journey's been a lot of fun. I bet. So, so as you touched on, you've been geographically in a bunch of different places, but you're back in new England, um, where you started. So talk to us a little bit about what's going on these days with the golf scene in New England generally, and then we can sort of get into COVID related stuff too, which I know has had a big impact. Well, Larry, um, what's happened over the last dozen years in New England, there's been many places, whether it's personal or private owners or clubs that have turned upside down. There's been bankruptcies, foreclosures. There's been places that you and I played as yes. youngsters that are overgrown. Uh, you know, there's at least 10 courses that you and I both played as youngsters or names that we recognize that have shuttered their doors. There's also been places that have gone for astronomical one or two or three million dollars over the asking price because people want to own a golf course yet do they know how it's you know up here as you know it's predicated on weather right. and our season i mean this right. year you know we've been open the last eight weeks i was opened till january 6th this year so from march 15th last year to january 6th straight no time off Wow. We took uh, three weeks off. We opened in the first week of February where um, last weekend I had 200 players a week ago, Saturday. So that's crazy. So we should tell people, so you're where you are now is in Hamden. So it's along the shore, right. Of Connecticut. Well, so it's I'm, a, a, I'm, or... I'm in New Haven County, Larry, which from the shoreline, which the first shoreline town is Branford, Connecticut. Yeah. It goes, it goes like Branford, Westbrook, Madison, we're, we get some of that um, ocean air off Long Island Sound. Right. So the weather here in New Haven, like in Hartford County, it might be five or 10 degrees cooler. Right. That's what um, I'm getting to. Exactly. And, and we might be able to open like we did. Let, like people find it hard to believe, but we had golf carts out last weekend. Wow. We're talking, you know, we, we're the only place in the state ourselves in Lyman Meadows that had golf carts out. So you can imagine like the phone's ringing off the hook. And, you know, the other thing that's changed the game, Larry, is golf now has changed the game dramatically. I mean, they, they got contracts with 12,000 courses. So talk to and, us a little bit about how that works, maybe, because people might not know how golf now works. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, golf now, the, the headquarters is in Orlando, Florida. They just moved a number of people up here to Stanford, Connecticut, because it's owned by NBC Universal, Walt Disney. And, uh, they think we're open right now. I just, before I, I, I came on with you, I had somebody, uh, my phone just went off and dinged. Somebody booked a tea time for next Sunday. 
And I, I'm looking out my windows here and I've got, we had six inches of snow here on over the weekend on Friday, Friday, Saturday. We're not going to be able to open for 10 to 14 days because the high this week during the day is going to be 40. And at night it's going to be 15 to 20. So there's going to be no right. real melting and there's no rain coming. So, but golf now, the way it works, golf now is, I think the great, one of the greatest inventions uh, since the hula hoop or cabbage patch dollars, <laughs> <laughs> because as I sleep at night, my phone dings and I get 30 to 40 people a day that book through golf now or online with golf now. So they've actually almost purchased all, all the other online booking agents. They software, T-sheets, you name it. So this is my opinion. If you're not hooked up with golf now, like, for example, we have a municipal course in New Haven, 10 minutes away. They don't do golf now. So while I, I relate it to the trash industry. One of my buddies used to own a, a waste management company. His motto was trash never sleeps, <laughs> which is true. And guess what? Golf now never sleeps because while I put my head in the pillow, people could be coming from California to Connecticut and they're booking online on their plane flight to right. play golf at our place the next day. So it's, it's pretty wild. If, but there are people that are still operating with paper T-sheets and call in or come in person. But listen, if I'm getting 30 or 40 people a day just from being hooked up with them, it's a no brainer. Yes, they're making, they make a, they get a percentage letter. They get a booking fee. Right. So if my rack rate is $65 for a foursome that books through their uh, online booking agent or over the phone with them, they get a booking fee. Let's say it's $3 a player. So they get $12 for each group that they book, if they book tomorrow. So if they book 10 tee times, which is 40 players, that's $120. And they don't really, ha really have anything at stake. They have no labor costs at the golf right. course. They have no you know, overhead, no electricity, no heat, hot water, no gas or diesel for carts or equipment. Plus at my place, we're called Golf Now Premium. They get eight, players a day as part of the package called the hot deal. They keep that money themselves. So if they sell it for $50 each and there's eight players, that's $400 in their coifers. We don't see anything from that. Wow. That's, okay. our, that's our, that's our agreement with now they get that seven days a week. Now wow. they have, they have similar arrangements with two tea time, at least one in most cases, two tea times a day with their 12,000 courses. So figure out if they got 24,000 free tea times a day, I'd like to own that. Yeah. You know? Pretty good business. So it's, it's, it's smart. A lot of people are anti golf now. Um, I'm not, but you, you'll appreciate this. If you have a golf now customer and you rub them the wrong way or your staff does, they're going to hammer you on social media. And, and, and we have, we, we have no access to, to square it away. Because once it goes on Golf Advisor, it, it, we can't take it off. So, so let's talk about that. This is interesting to me. I mean, I'm listening to you because I'm actually wasn't that familiar with Golf Now. So listening to you, 
it almost sounds like open table is, you know, for restaurants. Um, exactly. and, and like with open table, which I'm a little more familiar with, I mean, you know, you can leave reviews and stuff on, on that. So I take it on what you're saying now. I mean, if I'm a golf now customer and I, you know, either have a great experience or not a good experience at your club, it, it, is there a space and I can, they, they, you can review it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. They go, you go to golf advisor and it's one to five stars, five star being yeah. the highest one being the lowest. They, they have the deals that they discount and keep the monies. Those are called hot deals. Yeah. And don't take this the wrong way. This is no disrespect to anybody, <laughs> but I, I personally, and my staff laughs at me, I call hot deals trunk slammers because <laughs> they pull into our parking lot. They open their trunk. They get their golf clubs out. They come check in, grab a cart, you know, go, go shut their trunk, put the clubs on the cart and go play golf. They will barely even buy a cup of coffee. Right. Right. And they drive back to the parking lot. And yet they are expecting, you know, five star service that you would get, you know, at Sherwood and, and we give it to them, but listen, you know, if they go to a hole and there's not a ball washer or there's a rake missing, you're, you're subject to get killed. And so they'll, they'll, they'll go and put their clubs away and be on their way. So sometimes we never know how we're going to portray to that, to the customer or customers that are hot deals or regular golf now players. But right. like I said, it's a double-edged sword. We love the business, but if you get a foursome and, and, and it, they come across something that they don't like, they could four of you hammer you and give you a one. And yet your facility and your staff are really fives. Right. So it, it, it's funny how it works, but it, that's rub of the green, you know? So is uh, just one other thing. This is so interesting to me. So for your tea times at a facility like you're at now, what proportion is, are, are the tea time, I mean, ballpark, are the tea times reserved through golf now versus someone just calling you? Is, I mean, do you have a sense of that at all? Well, I obviously still get more people calling. Okay. If I, let's just say, I'll throw a number. Let's just say we average 150 players a day. Yeah. Of which 30 a day are golf now customers. Got it. Okay. okay. So that the other 120 could be members, guests of members, because we we're semi-private, we're open to the public, but we have memberships also. Gotcha. So okay. we got people that walk in off the street or phone in. So like if I use 150 as a number, a good 30 on average out of the 150 are golf now customers. Gotcha. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So that's that's an interesting part of the landscape. So um and and Talk to me a little bit about what else is going on in New England. I mean, sure. you, you touched on a few other things, which we, we, we skipped over a little bit. You're right. I mean, private clubs, there's, there's, and again, I, I haven't lived in Connecticut in a very long time. You know, we're talking more than 40 years, but right. I do look at it and, and, you know, I see, you know, clubs that have struggled. I mean, you know uh, I mean, just, you know, there's no, there's no secret here. I mean, the two two private clubs that, you know, you and I played at Tumblebrook and Cliffside have had their financial struggles gone different directions and how they've done it. On the other hand, 
and this guy, I got such a kick out of this because I follow golf architects and, you know, Bradley Klein, you know, lives in Bloomfield, um, right. Connecticut, and has been a golf architect writer for a very long time. Right. And, you know, not only, of course, has talked about Gillette Ridge and Wittenberry, which are right both in Bloomfield, but of course, that sort of, I, I couldn't believe Keeney Park. So, you know, Keeney Park is where my dad um, used to play a million years ago. Um, right. And um, I never played there, but I always heard the stories about it and stuff like that. That looks like it's become a gorgeous course. I mean, that they've well, redone it and everything. So I, I, I mean, at least from the pictures, it does. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. And we'll talk about New England. Well, your dad used to play, I think he threw this name. I used to play with a guy there named Sam Hong. See, I, I totally, you know that. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, he did. <laughs> the, the golf course was des designed by Devereaux Emmett. Right. And he, he did congressional. Right. And uh, Keeney Park was in disrepair, as right. was Goodwin Park. Right. Uh, they voted in before the last mayoral election to spend $12 million at Keeney. The new mayor took over during the course of construction, Larry, and they, they, they cut it. They spent $8 million. They, they, they refurbished the, the brick clubhouse, uh, the golf course, hosted the U.S., the, the PGA boys and girls junior 10 days apart. So, and they brought it to its knees. They had the boys, they had like probably 30 players that shot 65 or better. Oh my gosh. One wow. of the kids shot, I was a rules official out there for the Connecticut section. One of the juniors, actually, I think, He's going to Stanford, your old alma mater. Oh, wow. Uh, his dad is a movie producer. Kid shot 60. Wow. And had a, putt, had a putt in the last hole to shoot 59. Oh, my and then God. There, there was two or three girls that shot 62 the following week. So wow. anyways, that place has been restored. Um, they did a great job. Gene Duesenberry Designs was the architectural firm that redid it. In New England, what's happened, Larry, is uh, the last, since COVID, right before COVID, our old course that we grew up at, Ellington Ridge, they were really hurting financially. Yeah. To the point where they were considering, do we stay private? Do we go semi-private? As you know, it's one of the finer courses oh, in the for state sure. of Connecticut. Absolutely. A great layout. If they did make the transition to go semi they would have killed it because it would have been the best semi-private place in Hartford County and possibly the state but they got lucky they decided not to they put a couple simulators in they hired a new golf professional Tony Rowe um retired they brought a, a gentleman in he stayed a year a year or two and then moved to his family in Iowa they brought um, one of the assistants in who I guess has done a knockout job but that was right before COVID. And then boom, golf was at a forefront in New England. All the clubs that were suffering, that were on the brink of, do we shutter the doors? Do we go semi-private? Do we have bare bones membership drives, um, which like at Brentwood or Wilshire, Riviera, they never even would consider something like that. You know, places like that. Oh, we're, we're, we're a hundred thousand initiation fee. We're going to raise it to 150 or 200 and they get more, more members. You know, how that goes, but <laughs> so they, the combination of 
staying private and timing. They've got a waiting list again. Their simulators, they have two or three simulators in the winter. They're booming. Um, there's other places. Uh, there's a place, believe it or not, that sold for $2 million more than the asking price. Wow. Wow. Tall, Tallwood Country Club was on the market for 2.1. I remember Tallwood, sure. And it sold for 4.2 million. The wow. owner of Twin Hills in Coventry bought it. There was a family that owned Twin Hills. They ended up buying Tallwood because the Ovian brothers retired and they've been at uh, Tallwood for like 15, 20 years. Well, they decided to retire the sister and two brothers. So that, that's an example of what's going on. Willowbrook Country Club, probably the finest executive course in the state, par 60 with uh, 12 par threes and six par fours. Family owns like 20 businesses uh, in South Windsor. They decided to get out of the golf business like four months before COVID. If that place <laughs> ever stay open, they would have done 200 rounds a day and they would be booming. Um, so we, we see places, Larry, uh, Tower Ridge, the old cliffside. You know, I, I was a pro there. Right. Nine years in my career. Wow, so I didn't I was that there, long. Yeah. I was there at cliffside when it became Tower Ridge and Club Corp. I worked for them. And then Palmer went in and bought it from Club Corp. They were there X amount of years. Then it, it sold to a private uh, owner out of Manhattan. And now if you drive by the weeds, are, it's like a goat field there. And they've redone the clubhouse. The guy that owns City Steam Brewery redid the clubhouse because, you know, it was a beautiful backdrop yes. of the mountains. Yeah. And he's they actually have a disc golf course there now. And he's running banquets and um, food and beverage. So the they're not playing. They're not playing. It's no longer a regular golf course. No, it's just it's a di disc golf course now. Oh, so I, I can't believe it. I'll tell you the places that have shuttered that you're aware of. Yeah. Woodbridge Country Club. Really? Overgrown. Um, went from private to public to the town, taking it over. It's got weeds on it right now. You've got Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Mass. Oh, sure. Yeah. Went bankrupt. It's now been bought by a private owner and it's operating now. I don't know how busy they are. Uh, you've got Cliffside and Tower Ridge that's closed. Um, we also have Oak Lane Country Club within, in, in Woodbridge also. Yes. That now is called Traditions at Oak Lane. That's a public golf course. So we've seen a, a numerous amount of places that, like when we were growing up that were thriving that have closed their doors. Yeah, and, really. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, COVID, Larry, has given a, sh a booster shot to all these clubs that weren't doing so well because now we've got adults that couldn't meet up with their friends socially. They never touched a golf club and now they're playing golf. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, for sure. That, that's what's happening in, in, in New England right now. And uh, we're a recipient of that because we're a Jeffrey Cornish design. We're 7,000 yards from the tips and we're a good layout. And New Haven County is is a big county and we get traffic from everywhere. And uh, in fact, the owner of my place right now is we're undergoing right now a $2 million renovation on the wow. interior and exterior of the, um, of the buildings. Wow. Let's talk. So let's you touched on COVID. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think it's such an interesting 
topic. You're you're a hundred percent right, of course, that golf is the ultimate socially distanced sport. So um, it definitely was a boom for golf. Um, yes. I know that's true nationwide. I know here in LA. I know at our club the number of rounds skyrocketed, um, and and that's true all over LA and true generally. What I'm curious about, um, you know, we're almost at, um, you know, I'm looking at the calendar here. It's February 28th, almost two years, you know, it'll be that we, you know, first started shutting down with COVID, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully we're kind of on the back end of it. You know, uh, you never know with this thing, with all the mutations, but, um, you know, we're, we're released, we're, you know, at least out here, which has been very strict on masks. They've finally, LA County, sort of um, eliminated the mandate for masks um, last week. So, um, and, you know, we'll see, I mean, if people start traveling more, but I guess where I'm going with this, I'm curious, do you think this boom to golf, this COVID related boom, which is, you're quite right, it's caused all these new players to come into the game, people who were existing players to play a lot more frequently. So, you know, the total rounds being so much, larger do you where do you think that's going to go do you think that's going to stay um or do you think that you know as people start you know going back to traveling and doing other things um that we're not going to keep these you know new players in the game i think larry we're going to retain a percentage of those players i think you know whether it's going to the gym or golfing or running you get engulfed with you know something like that it, it sometimes becomes a mis obsession and i think for some of those players they're like well boy i wish i took this up earlier so it's going to be like my job and my club's job and area courses and people in the business how do we keep retaining those players because i agree with you now that you know the the, the tourism industry in new england will you know, the popular places, the Atlantic cities, the Cape Cods, the Maines, all this, the summer destinations there, it's going to be, they, I don't think they, it's going to be like wildfire. Right. They're going to be so busy. So we are trying to do some things here to be innovative and try to retain those people. Um, besides the interior and exterior of the clubhouses, we're, we're redoing our whole teaching and practice range facility right now. Um, you know, they say sometimes if you build it, they will come, but <laughs> the golf industry doesn't necessarily fall into that. It's, it's a service industry. And you know, when, when you were an attorney, some days, some weeks you work so darn hard, you know, the breath of fresh air was going to the club or spending time with your family, going to dinner at the club or, or playing golf. So um, we have to, treat people with kid gloves because we from my end the semi-private end here we have a lot of competitors in the area so we're sort of trying to give the public give the private touch with the public golf course that type of mentality yeah. so that's what that's what we're looking to do that makes sense um you know the other thing i wonder about you're you're you know 100 right you know in the tourist stuff you'd think people are going to spend more time on that. But the other thing we're seeing, and I, I'm guessing you see it a little bit where you are, is all of this work at home um, that is probably, 
not going to ever go back to the way it was. Um, you know, it'll, uh, we're seeing it out here. I see it, you know, in the law firm industry and commercial real estate. I mean, you know, people love being able to work at home. I mean, they like to be able to go into the office a little bit and socialize, but it's not going to be five days a week anymore for a lot of industries like it was. And so what does that mean? I mean, for at least for, for a club like us, it's, you know, where we're located, lots more people are going to be able to go zip over for nine holes or stuff like that. Cause they're not in the office all day. So, I mean, I think that's one aspect of this that, you know, will help, you know, retain some of these people. Cause you know, they don't have to, if, if you're, if you're going from your house, as opposed to, you know, you're in the office nine to five, it's a lot easier to play. I agree. Larry. We have a lot of people that are commuters from New Haven, take the uh, train in from New Haven to New York city. And now all those people are, are, are here working from home because they're the corporation or business they work for found out they can be more successful and work harder from home and get more done. And right. I agree with you. I think that we're going to get some people that, Hey, this guy's not coming off the train then driving a half hour to his house. Right. He's already home. Right. He's, he's got time to, you know, come out to the golf course now. Absolutely. So are you, so talk to me a little bit. Are you still playing in tournaments and stuff? And still well, trying Larry, to it's, do that? it's funny that you asked that Larry, um, you know, the cap, the cap that I wear at the club, I'm the GM director of golf. So I, I have a lot of experience and through the years in food and beverage. So like, for example, I'm serve safe certified. So I'll give you a scenario. My chef is out because he has COVID at the club. The bartender's out. They have COVID or someone in the family. So they're quarantining. The, the owner here has nobody to go in and, and run both entities. So yours truly goes in and does it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I, whether it's filet mignon or a cheeseburger platter or making mixed drinks, I can do that. Um, and my intention before COVID, I had dedicated myself the last 24 months to, I've always been pretty physically fit yeah. um, and maintained um, a fairly good condition. But I, I decided two years ago that I was really going to get back into working out again. And the last 13 months, uh, my intentions were last season, because I'm 63 now and I'd, I'd be eligible to play in all the senior events. And because my game, I still play fairly decent. That was my plan. And I, I since last January 2nd, for the last um, 13 months, I've worked out five days a week. Wow. I've had no bread or sugar for 13 months. Oh, wow. You know, being in being in the pizza capital, the Mecca of the world. Yeah, that's yeah. you really are. That's that's uh, very yeah, hard. It's to hard. Do. I've had three small Pepe's pizzas. But my to really get to the point, I was working out and then I hit a few balls at the beginning of the year in April, starting to practice my top of my back part of my hand started bothering me. And believe it or not, uh, from all the golf balls that I've hit through the years and to a family uh, genetic issue with arthritis of the hands and fingers, I've got it now. Oh boy. So I've unfortunately, one of the leading hand guys in the world um, is in Hartford. He did Lee Trofino's hand surgery and Isaiah Thomas's um, wrist surgery when he was in the NBA. 
And they basically told me that I have 95% mobility. They don't want to operate. And that if I want to play, take two Advil Advil in the morning and two afterwards to get through the pain. So I was on a a three or four month hiatus from even hitting the shot um, starting last September, October. So I followed a doctor's orders. But even if I went to reach for my dog and pull him towards me, my hand, I could feel it. So oh, ouch. Uh, I, wow. I got a cortisone shot and there's a few certain exercises at the gym that affect it. And we talked about that with, with the orthopedic, with the hand uh, specialist. And I'll probably start playing again in some senior events this year. Um, but again, I know I'm going to do it and it's not going to be pain-free because he won't, he's not going to give me another cortisone shot until probably he wants to save it. And you know, Larry, what's really scary is they do wrist replacements now. Really? I didn't know that. I couldn't believe it. And he started talking to me and I, I went home and started researching it. And it, it's, I went back and I said, doc, listen, there's no way that I'm going to do it. I go, I, I would feel like a bionic man, but he, he goes, yeah, he goes, you're not ready, <laughs> but he goes, you give away mobility. He said, if you do it and he goes, either we do a fusion or you do the wrist replacement, but he goes, technology is going to get that much better in the wrist area and the replacements, just like the knee replacements did. But when he told me that I was, I was shocked, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, that, that is amazing. Well, I can understand um, that putting a little bit of a damper on being able to sort of um, get your game um, at top level, but um, uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to keep playing. Um, and, um, you know, I've really, uh, I've really loved catching up with you. This has been so much fun um, and um, bring for me personally, a lot of wonderful memories of um, all those days, New England golf. And uh, it's funny because we grew up in a Jeffrey Cornish um, course. It's funny that, that you're at another one, um, but um, uh, it's been really great. I've really enjoyed it, Tony. Yeah, Larry, I have too. I appreciate you reaching out to me. And uh, I want to, you know, when I get out to the West Coast, I want to play a round of golf with you. I hope up. you do. Yeah, please and, you do. Know, if you're out here at all, just you, you've got my contact information. Let's definitely do that. All right. I appreciate it. you have a great day and I'll be giving you a phone call uh, soon to stay in touch. Okay. Thanks everyone.